Star Boys, we just finished listening to Willie on the ColecoVisions podcast. Kowalski, what is the private Enrico doing over there? They appear to be accessing something called an SNES, sir. Check the net about this SNES. It appears to be some type of entertainment device. There's a file here referring to it. Soul Blazers, the SNES podcast. Awesome. Top drawer, top shelf, top Nintendo. Begin Operation Nintendcast. Retro Nation, this is Chad with the Retro Junkies, and this is the SNES Podcast with me, your host, Chadwick Hall, and your other co-host, the great Greg, <laughs> and of course, who is on the other line, sir? This is Rob McCallum, writer-director of Nintendo Quest, coming at you, excited to be here on the SNES Podcast. This is the man, Rob McCallum. I have actually been hounding the man trying to get either on his show or him on mine. Don't lie to your listening audience. This is the first time you've ever (laughs) tried to connect with me. But somehow our magical forces were able to connect to make this happen. That's all that matters, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. I I don't know exactly what's going on because Rob here is an actual movie star, director, and, man, I'm just an Arkansas mountain hick, dude. I don't know what else to say. Well, that's all right. There's a, there's a silver lining in every role, in every life. I don't know if I'd say I'm a movie star. I don't know. That's the first time I've heard that one. Man, I am so excited to have you on here. I can tell. This is great. I'm excited as well. Greg, are you excited? I feel like a total stranger, like the way you two are going back and forth here. 
Well, I don't, I don't want you to feel excluded, Julie. <laughs> it's all good. Water's warm. Yeah, I'm trying to, but... <laughs> no, we, uh, uh, I actually wanted to get on the, uh, the last Google Hangouts with you guys, but unfortunately... We had other kind of, huh? I don't know, I was doing this other little podcast. We were just starting up. I got to tell yeah. you, Chadwick, if you want something, you got to choose to make it happen. <laughs> I know, so, right? It's a certain theme of a certain film that I may or may not definitely be associated with. Well, if I remember things correctly, so correctly here, like you were the one who actually reached out to me like about being on the podcast. It's a true story because I wanted to make this happen. You know, like what Chad said, it's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Somebody like is, you know, somebody who's done as much work and has as much credit like as you do. So, um, so uh, it's really been great. Uh, I'm sure Chad will support me on this. It's really been great. Just the number of great guest hosts that we've been able to get on this podcast, and just like you know, this this is the seventh episode. Just so the number of guest hosts we've been able to get on here in such a short period of time, really great guest host has really been damn impressive. So I've actually been elevated to guest host, not just guest. I'm a guest host now. Yeah, whatever. Well, I like it. I'm, I'm up to, hang on, guys. I gotta update my resume. Because <laughs> this, this is great. This is great. I like it. Okay, I'm on board now. Now I'm gonna really pay attention. <laughs> cool. What's up? What are we talking about today? Well, Man, I really want to hear about this really cool movie going on and i was wondering if you had a bit of an update or if you knew anything well i believe the movie you're talking about opens december 18th it's star wars episode 7 <laughs> it, uh, it, it it's obviously something for the nostalgia freaks out there because it goes back in the day but it's also gonna please current and you know contemporary fans uh, that's the movie right <laughs> right, right. That's the one. Okay, cool. You have, any, uh, you have any insight on that? Because I really want to get on that Falcon, dude. I, I, think, it's, I think it's pretty cool. Maybe mm. we can pull some strings mm. and uh, set up a Kickstarter campaign to get you uh, on that set somehow, even though they're done uh, shooting. Mm. Oh. I know. Dreams crushed. Shattered dreams for chat. You, you must be actually trying to get me to plug Nintendo Quest. Is that what you're trying to do? I think that's what I'm doing here. Okay, okay, that's a pretty good segue. It's a pretty good segue. I'll give it to you. <laughs> so Nintendo Quest uh, tells the story of fanatic video game rock star Jay Bartlett and his lifelong dream to own a complete NES collection. So being his best friend, I dared him to do so in 30 days without using the internet in any capacity. Uh, and he said yes. So while we follow Jay around over 10,000 miles on what we're calling the ultimate 8-bit road trip, we get to examine the enduring legacy of Nintendo and the NES and what would motivate someone nowadays to still have a passion and love for a system that is 30 years old. And we run into many other gamers, icons, and celebrities of the gaming world to come up with a few different thoughts and conversation starters about why that system is so magical. And, and of course, uh, the magic in Jay's own journey itself goes hand in hand with that. So... Nintendo Quest, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I'm told that our current Kickstarter will be over, but that's okay. Our screenings start this summer with Las Vegas, and then we also have screenings in Beverly Hills, Austin, Texas, uh, Du Bois, PA, Columbus, Ohio, uh, London, Ontario, Canada, which is the hometown of Jay and myself, Portland at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and a few other possibilities in the works that we can't quite say too much about. So it is coming to a theater near you in a limited capacity, and uh, yeah, we hope to see everybody out there and reach out to us and join the community. No gatekeepers. If you love games, no matter what era, what platform, what style, 
then uh, we would love to talk to you about it on Facebook or Twitter or through our podcast channels too. Uh, yeah, this project's been going on for um, you know like for a long time now. I've been don't remind it... me. Don't <laughs> remind me. I've been following the progress of this for a number of months now, like their podcast, and it really sounds like it's coming along very well. So I'm pleased to hear it's going to be coming out like pretty soon. Thanks, man. So, do you have any hopes to be able to get this out to a bigger audience through online means, perhaps? Yeah. So what's going on right now? And like I said, the the Kickstarter campaign is probably going to be over by the time this podcast comes out, and that's totally cool. We're through January and into the early part of February, we launched a Kickstarter campaign to allow people to pre-order the film on disc, so on DVD or Blu-ray. And there's also some special goodies, and uh, it's kind of crazy because we are close to our next stretch goal at, at the time being. And and when everybody's listening to this, they will know whether or not we hit. It, and that is to actually have an 8-bit NES game on original Nintendo hardware based on Jay's journey that may come out as well. So a game about collecting games. But the reason that we're doing a physical media push is because most of our distribution options have been digitally uh, negotiated for the most part. We haven't signed with anybody. We have offers. I literally have documents I could sign today that would guarantee that it gets out on your favorite video-on-demand platforms. That's your iTunes, your Hulu, your Amazons, uh, and then, of course, Netflix is part of that window as well. Because the disc side of it isn't a part of that. We wanted to make sure that our fans, which have been growing and growing since we first started filming, uh, they, that we wanted to make sure they had a chance to secure a copy of the disc because that might not be an option in the future. And we don't want to have, you know, a garage full of DVDs and Blu-rays and we don't have the overhead to be able to kind of put up that kind of upfront cash for that. So Kickstarter was a great way to allow people to secure one of these discs. And inadvertently, because they loved it so much, we came up with that crazy idea that, hey, why don't we make an NES game based on Jay's journey? So that's what we're doing. You're only, what, $2,000 shy right now? As of this recording, we are less than $2,000 away from that stretch goal. Our stretch goal that we had to hit is $25,000, and we are a shade over twenty-three. So what's the stretch goal for VHS, dude? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> believe me, as soon as, as, soon as I announced that uh, one of our stretch goals was our 8-bit soundtrack on cassette, I had people messaging me, so when do what do we got to do to unlock a VHS dub? <laughs> I kid you not. I kid you not. I kid you not. And then other people were being smart and saying, are you going to do a Laserdisc release? (laughs) We're not doing Laserdisc. Yeah, I was literally going to ask that question. (laughs) Oh, stop being so crushed. Uh, It's a miracle that this film is getting out there. And and believe me when I say miracle, because it is the entire community that has Mm. rallied behind what I, you know, affectionately and humbly call our little film mm. about something that we love and is near and dear to us. And I'm so glad other people have tapped into that because they care about it. And it's just about, hey, if we're willing to do the work, those everybody else seems to be willing to support it. And that's a deal I'll make any day. So I, I just want to say thank you uh, on behalf of myself and Jay and the rest of the team that everybody, including you guys, just for having us on as guests and talking about this. This is precious, precious airtime that I'm trying to make last as long as possible by going on and on right now. But I love it's been a couple of, you know, 10 minutes, but, you know, it's all good. <laughs> Not that we're keeping track. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, uh, I I myself actually um, donated it, and it's money well spent because this is a fantastic project, and I cannot wait for it to come out. Well, here, l- l- let me throw it back around, Greg, and, and sorry, I know you keep trying to jump in here, and I'll let you chime in with an answer, too. 
before we get to today's show, and I do know what we're talking about today, and I'm excited because it's one of <laughs> the landmark games that changed me as a gamer, and we'll get to that. What do you guys like about the, the concept of Nintendo Quest? Well, me personally, with the movie we're working on, uh, I'm fascinated by it from two different angles. One of the angles is a collector uh, who's trying to not only work on this massive goal of trying to get these NES games, because the NES had a huge library. I think only maybe the 2600s like, had more officially launched games for it compared to the NES, but trying to do it totally without without online means. I mean, like, Chad has kind of the same kind of procedure in place, but he'll at least do things like, like you know, deals of, like, friends on Craigslist and that kind of stuff. So somebody being limited in this day and age, trying to go around to physically getting everything is really a challenge that I personally think is impossible to do. So I'm very interested in seeing the movie to try to find out what actually happens with this. So well, uh, that, that's definitely a key component. It, it's doing it old school, right, without the Internet. Where is the journey and transformative power of clicking a button and buying things on eBay? Hmm. What fun is that? Let's go out and meet some people and see who's in the world and see what kind of trouble we can get into and what kind of uh, international incidents we can cause. Right, and that actually leads me to my second point. Just like the other thing I'm really, really interested in seeing is just like, you know, the whole personal interaction of this, like, you know, like, you know, the adventures he goes on, the people he meets. The fact that, you know, like I fully admit that this whole this whole hobby, this whole retro gaming thing that we do, um, the podcasting and, that, and whatnot is still kind of seen as geekish by a lot of people. So um, so so somebody not only fostering and encouraging their geekish, but actually embracing it full blown uh, like this is something that's very interesting to me. Because while I think that video games themselves are very culturally and societally accepted at this point, uh, what we're doing here with the collecting and the podcasting, that kind of stuff, is still very, very niche and very geekish. So um, it's interesting to see somebody embrace that full on and see what kind of adventures and things that they get into. I don't know where to jump in on that because that's that's super fascinating to me. I, I've never seen it as geekish or nerdish or ever felt like an outcast from it. It's always been, and I think Jay will agree, that it's all about what you love. There are diehard sports fans that go to games without any clothes on and paint themselves. How is that not as geekish as what some of us do or outsiders might claim as geekish? So to us, it's just about demonstrating our passion no matter what it is i mean there are people that like woodworking there are people that love you know cars and nascar and just because you follow your passion there's a there's an immediate you know need for other people to jump and point fingers because someone doesn't have that that closed off boundary that those sensors are off and this film is definitely about that following your passion so i I don't know if i'd call it geekish maybe from an outside standard people would say that you know because it's video games and computer games it there is that kind of tendency to label it that but it's it's about following your passion and uh just being okay with that and who you are and what you like you know i'm quoting uh zach levi here but um he says that uh being a nerd is nothing more than being completely passionate about something but I don't really see it as a, as a geekish or anything. As a matter of fact, here's where I'm so really fascinated about the film itself. I've always seen video games as the great equalizer. I was always the little guy in school and, and whatever. I was always the guy who was good at his homework and that kind of thing. And I got all that done. But then <laughs> I used to take my instruction booklet of my new game to school with me or okay. whatever like that you know like cool. a strategy yep. guide or whatever like that and here you are with your really geekish bookish kid and here comes the captain of the football team 
interested in the same game and you sit down and you can read the same book and discuss on an equal plane. Mm. So it's not so much a uh, kind of blocking myself off is I want to see how far and how open it goes. Um, I've always considered my, myself a, a, a big fan of sociology. To me, it's more of a study in society than it is anything else. And I, I'm really excited to see if he gets it or what he gets in, in the journey. But I also want to see the different people y'all meet, the different walks of life and, and that kind of thing. And, and that's what it's about, right? Like, we, we say it in a different kind of sense, but it's the people that matter. The games are just the glue that bring us together. Right, exactly. Take me, for instance. No. I can... <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I can fix your car no problem whatsoever. I can take in and put a battery in your car on the side of the road with a pair of pliers in my in my pocket or whatever. You know I work on fire extinguishers. I uh, I turn a wrench. I um and here we are. Quit showing off, place. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do and any of are. that. Yeah, but you can do so much more that I can't. I, on a daily basis, I talk to my friend Aaron Hickman, and he knows almost probably next to nothing about cars, but he can walk me through anything and everything computers. If it wasn't for him, good luck me getting me to edit anything, because there's no way. Here we are. He's walking me through Audacity and all that, trying to get me to do things, and I'm learning and it's all through video games in this interaction. And that's why I find this, this movie so fascinating because I see all these people from, people from different walks of life with the same interest, being able to put all that aside over some little dude in blue overalls, you know? And that's what, that's what fascinates me. Yeah, and I gotta tell you, man, that's what a lot of the film focuses on, who, who these people are, and yeah, the, the, the challenge is always there, sometimes more in the foreground and sometimes more in the background, but it's definitely about the people that, that make up this crazy world, and, and it's always gonna be people that matter most. I mean, mm. you, you see all these different people that do pickup videos and stuff, and we're about to talk about SimCity, you know not to let the cat out of the bag or anything but <laughs> what matters is that we all that what matters is that we're all talking about it that's what matters that we all have a shared connection there and that's a great thing for us to bring us together right you know i mean here here i am in west arkansas and i, I grew up around the uh louisiana arkansas border in the delta lands and here y'all are rob is from canada and uh, uh greg is from uh, up north, and y'all are just, and we're completely different. And here we are discussing things on a, on an equal plane. Well, I think there's probably millions of people in this country who probably who probably feel that way because like the NES was so popular that it was such an equalizing uh, force. It didn't matter. I clearly remember in school, I didn't remember, but it really didn't matter what grade you were, what social background you were from, uh, which other hobbies were. Just like all the kids just talked about the newest, like, the most popular like NES games. Just like it was one of those things that just brought everybody together in a way that probably very few other things have as far as like, you know, society in the last hundred years, like it's gone. So, um, uh, you know, it, we're also talking about an era in time where Nintendo was literally synonymous with video games. Exactly. I think you're quoting my trailer. <laughs> Wait, you had a trailer? Yeah, true. There's a trailer for this movie. Uh, oh, right. Where can you see that? Yeah, you can see that on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the NES Club or searching YouTube or, of course, on Kickstarter because it'll still be up by the time this podcast comes out. Awesome. Well, I've definitely gone on record as saying, like, 
I've seen that before, that even though I love the Super NES, uh, um, it's still my second favorite system by going up to the NES, because because the NES is just simply a huge love uh, love of mine. Um, so I would definitely back any project or a project or effort or or attempt by anybody, especially especially somebody with the passion, the skill, and dedication that you have, uh, just to get something out there and help to promote uh, the shared culture and experience that we have, like the NES and the games. I, I kind of hinted at it earlier, but what are we talking about today, guys? We are talking about the groundbreaking game uh, SimCity, originally released for home computers in 1989, um, and then was ported to the Super NES uh, by 1991. Uh, so, Rob, uh, I'm curious to hear from you about your like, about your background and here background history, like the Super NES. Did you have a system back in the day when it first came out? What were some of your experiences and memories memories with it? That kind of stuff. Well, it's kind of interesting. I never had a Super growing up, and I still don't have a Super. I do have a Retron 3 that obviously plays uh, SNES games, but I only have like 15 different carts to this day, and you know that's kind of embarrassing for a lot of people, but you know it, it, it's okay. Uh, I'm getting there. It's just a library I didn't have a lot of exposure to. That said, growing up, um, I was raised by my grandparents, and I met my, my birth dad later on in my life, and I would go down to visit him in a town that was two hours away, and we would spend some time at my cousins down there, and they had a Super Nintendo. So uh, other than the odd time uh, hanging out with Jay and you know watching him play Super Nintendo or playing some games with him, the most of my SNES interactions were with my cousins, and the one game that we always played was SimCity. So I got to spend a lot of weekends and summers logging hours on SimCity, just letting it kind of sit on its own, getting some cash before we could build again, and hoping disasters didn't strike, and... I had a lot of fun with SimCity, and I remember my cousins Amy and Kelly really showed me the ropes on that, and we had a lot of fun with that uh, that cart. So this is your first exposure to the game at that point, right? Like you had never seen the Absolutely. earlier PC versions? That, that's correct. The mm. Super Nintendo version was by far my first introduction to that franchise, but it, w it would be enough to spark my interest to discover more ports later. But based on the SNES experience that I had, it made me like hungry for, for more SimCity because I, I don't know what it was about the game and I'm sure we'll all talk about what we loved but it, there was something very Lego-like about it mm -hmm. that I could just build my own creation and watch it kind of grow and thrive depending on what I did and you could actually see cause and effect but it was, it was this open world it was like one of the first sandbox kind of games that I ever played where it was just like a tableau like here you go go play go hunt right you can see the the early roots of stuff like minecraft in it i think sim city was definitely a groundbreaking game um and for me like me i'd rank it right up there of civilization which came out around the around the same time as being one of the two most influential but you just talked about groundbreaking build your own thing do your own stuff games that really i really helped mold and shape literally hundreds of games that have come out in the years since then I think most people who listen to this podcast probably have some knowledge of SimCity. They at least heard about it, like not played it. Uh, but just so we have the background and the foundation here, so we can talk about what makes the Super NES port of the game so special. Let's talk a little bit about some of the history, the, the history and background, like about like about the original game itself. Like I said earlier, SimCity originally came out for the computer in 1989. The game was the brainchild of talented game designer by the name of Will Wright. Uh, and Will Wright is what considered one of the most influential PC uh, programmers and creators out there. The genesis for the game originally dates back to 1985 when he was working on a rough on a rough copy of this game uh, called Micropolis for the Commodore 64, which, which was the dominant uh, the computer platform at the time. 
but he had a very hard time trying to get anybody interested in publishing the game because publishers at the time were like, well, there's no way to win, there's no way to lose. You know, games have to have winners and losers. They weren't interested in selling publishing it. So he had a very, uh, very difficult bout trying to convince anybody to give the game a shot. So he kept tweaking it and tooling it. And finally, four years later in 1989, the very small company Maxis was convinced enough to finally go ahead and release the game uh, like on their platform. And, you know, I had a friend who showed me this game on his computer very shortly after it came out. And I just simply was flabbergasted by it. It looked amazing. Just the whole freedom to be able to do what you want and build a city and have the, the goals and challenges or whatnot. So I definitely bought a copy immediately afterwards and I logged many many hours over the next two years uh, playing this game like on my very uh, crude 486 CGA based PC I had at the time. The original versions of the game were on the PC, Mac, and Amiga, which were the popular periods of the time, and as the game's popularity grew, it was also ported to many other systems and platforms. According to my research, like when I was able to find, no less than 20 versions of this game came out uh, over the years for various platforms and devices, and the game is still around today. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but EA, which bought Maxis a number of years back and now has the rights to SimCity franchise, released a source code to SimCity several years ago, and the game's playable on online on several different websites and in groups and they're allowed to make mods for it and everything else like that. So there's still a very active fan base out there um, that has really continued to show this game the love and the support appreciation that it gained 25 years ago when the game first came out. Chad, did you have any exposure with the game in its original PC version? I did not. I didn't even know it existed on the PC until oh, wow, much, that's interesting. much later. To be completely honest with you guys, uh, and I, I'm totally playing in the stereotypical Arkansas country boy thing, <laughs> but we really did not do much with computers or any of that. Granted, my first brush with uh, video games was on the Apple II, where, you know, Galaxian and stuff like that. But as far as PC games go, unless I went to my uncle's house, it just did not really happen. I actually got uh, SimCity for the SNES through through my uncle. As far as the PC thing goes, like I said, I didn't even know it existed until much, much later. Well, don't worry, Chadwick. You know, there's this thing called the internet. It's not gonna <laughs> catch on. It's just a fact. Yeah, don't know. don't worry about it. You're not. Uh, you're not. You're not. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Looking out for you. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, like, did you guys know, and this is appropriate to, and this is appropriate to ask, since we were just talking about this earlier, did you guys know that this game was originally planned, like, for the NES? No, I did not know that. Did it ever come out on, on the Famicom? No, it did not. Uh, it came out on numerous computers and the uh, handheld devices and whatnot uh, over the world as the years passed, but the original plan was for this game to come out to, like, the NES, and then, like, Nintendo realized, we have this new 16-bit system, that not only will this game be more better suited for it, but it also make a very powerful uh, game to have on it. Because the game was not a launch game in Japan. The game came out in Japan uh, like in April 1989, but SimCity was a launch title for the Super NES in, the, in North America in August of 91. And it was a very, very strong seller. It really helped it really helped the seller system because by then, the game had been out for two years and a lot of people knew and recognized it. And a lot of people may have been in, may have been in, in Chad's position where it's like, oh, I've heard about this game, but I've never been able to play it because I don't have a computer or, 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 or whatever. So, And the game eventually got ported to Europe in September of 1992, and it went on to become one of Nintendo's best sellers for the system. I couldn't find the official sales totals, 
but the game well, it's, it's it's over a million because I have the million seller copy. Exactly. Yeah, I was just choice. Yeah. Yep. I was just gonna say that. And the fact the game is so popular is reflecting the fact that you can get the game really for a song. Uh, like we talk about the EA pricing later on in this podcast. I think that this is the cheapest Super NES game to pick up. Like you want to go that route. So uh, the game was super popular. Like in my case, I had a very hard time getting the game because I was just turned 16 when I like when I got the game for the Super NES and. It was a very difficult sell because I had saved up my money on my own to get the Super NES as, as my first major purchase. and But I already had the game for the PC. And my parents were like, you already have this game for one system. Like, you don't need it for another. It was, like, it was the point where I kind of had to beg and plead to be allowed to spend my own money, which I was making the time from allowance, part-time jobs and whatnot, to convince them that this game was a much better improvement over the original version to allow them to to relent and let me spend that money on getting the game for the console. Isn't that a weird thing, that it's your money, yet you've got to justify how you want to spend it? Well, there are a couple reasons for that. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I was hey, going... believe me, I go through it all the time with my wife. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. It, it, it's all, it's not an isolated all. thing to childhood, and, you know... <laughs> My wife doesn't, you know, follow games and toys and stuff like I do, so I can understand from her perspective. Why do you want that piece of plastic thing that you're just going to stick on your shelf? Mm. Well, because I love it, honey, but you have 500 other ones. <laughs> well, honey, I need another. So I get it. I get it. I just think it's, it's interesting that people make us justify the purchases that we want, even though it's our money. <laughs> it's like we got to convince them in order to do what we've already decided mm. to do. Like, why do we need this obstacle? What's the deal? Yeah, exactly. So finally, I was able to win that argument by showing them in several magazines and whatnot how much better this version of the game was. And we were talking about those differences and improvements later on. But I, I was so happy I finally won that. I, I finally, I finally won that argument. This game got heavy rotation in my system for years to come. Um, I, I love that you presented a whole case with evidence, like Exhibit A and Exhibit B. Look at the difference, <laughs> my fellow jurymen. Look at Exhibit A. Look at the the drastic improvement. This is why I. Should be allowed to purchase this game and i guarantee heavy rotation <laughs> i had to do that for a lot of things growing older. up so <laughs> goodness so chad how about you uh when did you first get this game uh like i said i actually got this game through my uncle um he had it for pc of course but he was pretty familiar with the fact that that probably wasn't going to happen for me. Um, so when did you get the game exactly? Like, like shortly after it came out or later on or? I don't know. I guess we got the SNES because I was in the fifth grade for the SNES. So I guess it was probably 92. Mm, okay. Something like that or 93 or, or whatever. And I actually got it from there, from, from him at that time. And it wasn't very long after that I got the console that he gave it to us. And I mean, it was another odd deal just like the SNES because we only got video games like Christmas and birthdays. And this was just sort of an out of the blue thing. So, of course, I was excited and I popped it in and it wasn't like Super Mario Brothers. It wasn't like any other game like Lion King or whatever. It was just this really boring music. <laughs> and you had to click through the numbers and wait like 10 seconds for every map to load and that kind of thing but eventually me and my brother fell in absolute love with it i remember playing this game in shifts with my brother and a lot of times you know you would just set your taxes or whatever like that and leave the system on and go to bed and hope bowser hasn't dropped through <laughs> so 
Anyway, uh, other than that, man, this it it quickly became one of our favorites. Well, I've always been a very heavy uh, PC gamer as well as a console gamer, and I believe this was one of the first, if not the first, computer to console conversions because the PC gamers tended to look down on console gamers uh, at, at, at the time period, being like, oh, we, you, you guys play stupid shooter games. I mean, like, we play the cerebral uh, smart games. We have to actually like, you know, think and strategize and plan and, and that kind of stuff. Hopefully, we refer to us as they don't really refer to the PC as a PC master race at all. Right. Part of it was just because at the time, computers were still very expensive. And most people right. who, who had computers were, like, were adults. And, you know, right. adults are into different kinds of games than you know, kids are. So you just had a very two-generational gaps that both enjoyed their own kinds of games. And you didn't see cross-platform or crossing over very often. This is one of the very first examples I can think of and probably one of the most successful efforts to bridge that gap between the, between the PC and the console world. I mean, Nintendo did an excellent job converting this game, not only with the game itself, but also putting in their own special, like, you know, Nintendo touches. That tile screen alone, with that beautiful city background and that nice music playing, and just that whole uh, twinkling at night scene that, of looking over that great city, just, like, just simply mind-blowing. Uh, it's better than anything that the PC version has. So, leaps and bounds right away, they, you can tell the love and the effort that Nintendo put in trying to make this game as excellent a port as possible. And not even just a port, an improved port at that. There's a very user-friendly aesthetic that they're employing here, where you really feel like you can jump in, and you, it's not an overcomplicated thing. It's very, like, drag and drop, you know, have fun, go in there. There is no right or wrong, there is no high score, the pleasant soundtrack the soft and appealing visuals you know it just draws you in without any sense of stakes or danger and i think that's really hard to do in games especially when so many companies want to excite and, and elicit you know go 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 attitudes they had to like completely counteract that right exactly and SimCity is certainly is certainly deserving like of all the awards and kudos he's gotten over the years i mean this game has been recognized by numerous societies, clubs, organizations. Uh, it's on the Smithsonian Hall of Fame list. It has spawned five official sequels, uh, SimCity 2000, SimCity 3000, SimCity 4, and SimCity 2013, as well as dozens of games that have simmed the title that were either indirectly or directly inspired by this one game. It literally launched an entire genre that's still going strong today. There's simply no denying the huge smashing success that, that, that this game had. One of the most five influential, ground-changing games that have ever been made. So it's definitely deserving like of all the praise and the high sales that this, that, that this game and franchise like has generated like over the years. I wonder how much this took Nintendo off guard, though. You had a guy who had to come to Nintendo and justify the fact that how the heck was this incredibly soft music going to engage 10-year-olds? Because the SNES, while very cool in different games and that kind of thing, it also had its own demographic. And Nintendo knew this because, you know, the lack of blood and, you know, the language and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, they had to justify the actual publishing of this game and how it was going to do. And, you know, they had to be nervous about it to begin with. I'm going to jump in there. And I think that one of the reasons they went for something like SimCity and dared to port it over was their previous success with titles like Tetris. 
You know, how is Tetris going to appeal to like an eight or 10 year old? The music in that is very different. It's very intense at times. The music for it, for Tetris is, is vastly different than other puzzle or than other platforming games that really made up the NES library. So when the when Tetris came out, it was just a very, very different experience for people. And I think that's why you know, they were they were so willing to try to port this to the Super Nintendo. This is a different game that is a different audience. They know there was a market for it. I think that's why they, they were willing to take the chance. My brother and I, like I said, at first glance, we were like, oh man, this is gonna suck. We're going back to Street Fighter. But at the same time, when we finally got to playing it, like I said, we, find, we actually fell in absolute love with this game. And we literally played it in shifts. So let's talk just a little, little bit about the gameplay for maybe those two people out there who have not yet actually played this game. The the, the, the actual gameplay is actually very basic, very simple, really. Uh, you're given this blank map. I believe, Seemingly basic, seemingly simple. Yes, exactly. I believe the phrase uh, um, you know, easy to easy to learn, difficult to master applies here. So, sure, yeah, just accept um, simple yeah so you pick a map i believe the super nice version has 999 maps to pick from i'm not quite exactly sure about that but i believe that's how many the flags on the cartridge i think it's a thousand because they count zero so zero to 999 close right. enough <laughs> so anyway uh the basic gameplay is you have this map and it's the year 1900s and you are the mayor of this town to be built and you are allowed to put down zones and buildings and whatnot and you don't actually build buildings you just simply you just simply zone areas that people like move into and as they move in the population grows and you gain taxes and use that money to build further services and expand your city and so on and so on. Uh, there's three basic kinds of zones. There's residential where people live, commercial where people work and shop, and industrial where people work on uh, the factories and stuff. And they each have their own pros and cons. And you also have to have a transit system like roads and rails and you also need things like Police stations keep people safe. Fire stations keep fires from breaking out. Stadiums provide to entertainment. Uh, airports to bring in traffic and commerce. And as a city grows, you have the difficult task of managing it and trying to keep, and trying to keep everybody as happy as possible, make as much money as possible from taxes, and trying to grow the city as much as possible. And it is incredibly addicting to just to try to tweak it or to tweak it like every single time. When I first picked up Super NES version, I was very pleased to find out that Nintendo had kept all the same formulas and strategies and algorithms in this version of the game that the original PC version had had. So I found my pleasure that all the same strategies and tactics that I had learned and used in the PC version worked beautifully here because the Super NES version ran the exact same engine under the hood, so to say, the exact same algorithms and the same, and the same formulas, directly taken like more right. So it was a great leg up for me to be able to jump in here and, and be like, okay, I know to do this and this and this to help maximize things and whatnot. And it also helps a little bit if you know kind of what kind of person I will write is, because anybody who spends any time playing the game can quickly realize that Mr. Wright has kind of a libertarianism uh, bend to bend to him. So that's why in the game, why mass transit is so important and so critical and why nuclear power has so many problems because he doesn't like nuclear power very much. Um, so even though we, so even though we have his own slants and preferences to the game, there's still enough open-endedness to the game that you can use literally thousands of tactics and strategies to grow your city however you want to grow it. So you don't even have to have a big city. You just want to have like a small, sleepy, lazy town for the next hundred years. 
Go right ahead. Nothing stopping you from doing that. Just the sheer open-endedness and sheer gameplay you get from this game. He explains why I've spent literally hundreds and hundreds of hours playing this game over the years. It sounds like you guys just like it the same way. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I started over so many times. Because, I mean, I would get tired of, <laughs> of this, the same city and then, like, play it for, like, a week. And I'll be like, oh, man, I, I'm going to try something else. So then I would try to figure out, like, a different strategy or, or something like that. It's the same thing as Minecraft or whatever. Like, the different scenarios and that kind of thing, it just kept me coming back. Like we said, you had a thousand maps to choose from. So I'm curious to hear from you guys if you had any preferred strategies or strategy tactics, like, like you played the game. Um, like, like I said, um, I had the advantage coming to this game already having considerable time playing the PC version. And like I said, uh, you can use... So the... you think you're better than me, Greg? Is that what you're trying to say? You think well, you're a better city builder than me? You think you're better than me at building cities? We will we will compare notes later on, sir, and see how that ranks up. But well, you can pull my citizens <laughs> any day, and they will continue to vote me as mayor. <laughs> the newspaper tells me so. <laughs> One of my favorite strategies that I usually had great success with, uh, if you're playing a flat map, uh, that is that is there's no river or lakes on it. I usually prefer to start off in the center of the map, and I will usually build a city in layers, have the residential zones in the center. Then the commercial zones next to it, and then the industrial zones like on the edges, uh, edge of the city, to minimize pollution because you don't want the pollution drifting over your city and causing all those problems. Plus, also industrial areas like are high crime areas, so those having them away or far away from your core of your citizens living in the city is critical. So after that was done, I laid the mass transit roads going one way and mass transit another, making sure to, to making sure every zone like every zone was connected, and I also would have in the center of the city. Um, a huge park, kind of based off the like Central Park in New York City, to maximize the property values, the residential areas, and keep the people safe. So, and as the city grew, I just kind of built it to build it out to that same plant strategy, and then had the power plants and the, and the airport and everything else also made to the city to minimize problems. Obviously, just assuming you had maximum land to work with. If there was a river, depending upon how much land was on the other side of the river, sometimes I put all my industrial zones on the other side of the river to, again, minimize pollution and crime and that kind of stuff, or have all the airports and the, and the power plants plants and stuff over, over there to again minimize problems and using this strategy I was usually able to get the city to a maximum population of about oh 1.3 1.4 million people show off <laughs> whatever overachiever um so how about you guys did you have any like favorite strategies or tactics that you used absolutely uh Chad Chad what are you thinking what are what, how did you uh, tackle urban development and planning dude I'm from Arkansas we didn't even have any of that <laughs> man i was right. trying to cut down on this stupid traffic and then i mean i'd have like six police stations around the same area and i have bad crime stupid <laughs> police and then i figured out i had to pay them. yeah you have to pay the cops imagine that uh, the strategy i use is is what i call the, the donut strategy and maybe you guys are familiar with this where you essentially do like eight units in a, in a circle and you leave the center block open and then i also really only use railway i don't use roads to to cut down on pollution so everybody's got to take the train in my town and then with that gap that ninth block gap is where i put all the different gifts so you put the mayor's house in there you put the bank in there and that really helps everything around it grow and unlike you greg who you start from the center of the city i start from a corner and I, and, I, and I expand and I sprawl out. So you, it's usually the lower left 
if there's no water there, and then I expand outwards. But I do the same thing kind of you, where it's residential, commercial, industrial. So there's always that, that barrier between the residential and, and industrial with the commercial in the middle so that the, the pollution doesn't bother the, the residents. See, I always try to cut down on cost of roads. And I mean, I, I understand not trying to, you know, have a lot of pollution and that kind of thing. I really tried to uh, start out with the nuclear. I always try to put that as far as possible, but not spend a lot on power lines. And then I tried to be redundant as possible without spending a lot on the power line. So I didn't get cut off at some point if, if anything happened. That freaking $10 a road, man, comes down to a lot. And I tried to maximize residents in the actual physical buildings with the uh, residents and the commercial and the industrial and try to keep all that um, as equal as possible. But at the same time, try not to put down too many commercial because, you know, you had to have the different jobs where it wasn't going to um, or it wasn't going to develop. But that was just that was just mine as a as a 10 year old. Did you uh, did you guys ever use the, the cheat code? Because that's my other nice little strategy to have infinite money. That is a very nice cheat code to have. Yes, uh, that, I, um... that definitely makes it easy to get to. <laughs> Cheat codes. All right. Well, basically, uh, you got to spend all your money on the buildings that require funding, like the police stations, the fire stations. So when the tax screen appears at the end of December, you got to hold down the L button. You go with the figures, like it says, go with figures, and then you go back to the tax screen and you turn all the dues to 100%, and you exit all. You exit it while holding down the L. So when you get back to your main screen and you let go of L, your money will go to 999,999. So you can keep basically doing this so that you have infinite cash. Yeah, that's more than two steps. I'm done. <laughs> you're, you're right. It, that, that third step is was the deal breaker. <laughs> that was, that, that's, it, it's over. <laughs> I'm totally going to try that next time I play. I never know about cheat code. <laughs> uh, um, I actually play that city for, um, for about 200 years of game time because the game doesn't really have an end per se. And it's one of the brilliant things about it. You can play... As long as you want to play, really, just to get like bored of the game. There was like there was one city where it was just simply tweaking, adjusting, and adjusting, and, t and tinkering with it, trying to see if to push the population up like any higher. And about 200 years passed before I even like realized it. Like you definitely have some long-term gameplay, like the city there, if you want to. And this game, like the PC version, has save states available because of the battery pack. So you can save, like save a city and come back to it like any time you want to. Did you spend any time like the scenarios? Did you have any favorites? No, I, I was never a scenario guy. I, I didn't like the restriction. And when it comes to any of these uh, simulation type games, the only one that I've ever played the scenarios in is Roller Coaster Tycoon, mm. which is obviously very similar to SimCity and, and owes a lot to it, a huge homage where you get to design your own theme park. And that's the only game that I've ever really tried to do the scenario thing. And uh, even even within that game, there's only certain scenarios that really appeal to me. I just don't like being handcuffed and having to clean up other people's work. If I wanted to do that, I would just, you know, take a look at Chadwick City and make that better. That's a scenario that they should share. <laughs> right. Dog on straight, man. Because, you know, there's so many freaking loops. Come on, man. It's scientifically proven. Turnabouts are awesome. <laughs> yeah, in, on theory and on paper, but not in practice. So, uh, which scenario did you say was your favorite, Chad? I actually um, didn't play scenarios that much either. Yeah, because when you mentioned the roundabouts there, I thought you were talking about the Zurich one because the Zurich one has you because the Zurich one has you trying to clean up the clean up, clean up the traffic problem, and that city is filled with like roundabouts and turnabouts that don't go anywhere. 
definitely one of the hardest scenarios in the fact you're trying to go in here and clean up this mess that the city has with like the broken mass transit. That is one of my two favorite scenarios. I'm not I'm not as much big a fan as uh, like disaster ones because those ones are like Rob said kind of handcuffing you to try and clean up a mess that scenario causes. But the Zurich one is different enough and that you're given a pre-existing city and it is a problem but you're given enough time and enough money to fix that problem where you can still put your own stamp on it. So the Zurich one is a favorite of mine and so is the Detroit one for the same reason because you're trying to clean up that mess of a city and Detroit now is even more broken than it was back then when the, city, like when the game came out. So maybe you should have taken a page from SimCity. I actually didn't mind the, uh, the pollution, like the nuclear meltdown or the Detroit crime or anything like that. I actually like those a lot more than I like the disastrous stuff like that. I thought it was cool to watch and that kind of thing, but actually trying to clean that up, it didn't really, it didn't really appeal to me so much as trying to analyze like Detroit crime mm. or the nuclear meltdown. I, I didn't really like, you know, I, I kind of like the analyzing it and trying to solve those problems. One of my favorite things to do when I was like finished with the game uh, was just simply to unleash as many disasters on it to flick as humanly possible and just like just wreck the whole city. <laughs> I did that. That's pretty messed up, man. I, I don't know what to tell you, but you provide this seemingly awesome paradise, this Garden of Eden metropolis, and then you just unleash the Kraken, and, and everything is destroyed. It's like all that trust that you gained. That's pretty messed up. That's pretty messed up. So, as I said earlier, uh, this game spawned numerous sequels, both official ones and spin-off ones. Um, some of the sequels also came out with Super NES. Uh, the next game, direct game in the series, since 2000, also came out with Super NES. Unfortunately, with that version, I kind of felt that the Super NES version was stepped down compared to the PC version. Because, it, because PCs weren't powerful by the time that the game came out, and they kind of handcuffed the Super NES version like a little bit. Plus, also didn't help that I didn't like SimCity 2000 as much as the original SimCity. So, there was also also, and I know this until recently, there was also a SimCity 64 game for the N64 that, that came out like in Japan only. So they utilized the ill-fated uh, DD disk drive expansion unit that was Japanese only. Booking the pictures, that game looks like pretty fun. It's too bad that one never came out like here in the States. But SimCity 3000, I really enjoyed a lot. Uh, SimCity 4 was like was good, and DRM problems aside, uh, um, I have spent some time playing the most recent SimCity. Definitely a very interesting and uh, revitalizing take, uh, like on the old franchise. So, um, but I really loved numerous other Sim games. There was Sim Earth. Like it was Sim Life, the Royal Coaster Tycoon games that yeah, Rob already mentioned. There's been so many hundreds of Sim games out there. I, I probably could talk about them for hours. What about you guys? You know, do you guys enjoy like any of their sequels or spinoffs as much as like this game? Chadwick, what do you think? Did any other sequels come to Nebraska? <laughs> Arkansas, dude. Arkansas. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, um, no, I didn't really get into the rest of them because I had discovered Sid Meier around this time. So I was more into that kind of thing, like pirates. So I didn't really, I didn't really get into it. Good for you. <laughs> uh. I like the sequels. Actually, uh, I think I kind of alluded to it earlier. I discovered uh, because of SimCity on, on the Super Nintendo, when a friend of mine had it on his PC, I was like hooked instantly. Uh, I, I didn't even realize that it ported to, to the Super Nintendo until within the last two years, to be honest. I have a copy. I haven't played it yet because I know when I put it in, I'm going to want to play it for hours like I did uh, with the original SimCity prepping for this show. But uh, yeah, had a lot of fun with SimCity 
2000 on the PC. Oh, you were talking about the latest SimCity. Now, I'm a Mac guy, so everybody talks about the DRM issues and, and how you have to be online. Well, us Mac fans had to wait even longer to, to even get a chance to play it. And by the time it actually came out, I couldn't get into it. Yeah. They actually did drop the online requirements, uh, like that game uh, recently. For sure. Yeah, yes. yeah. I remember I remember the big kerfuffle about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. That... <laughs> well, that's uh, pretty silly, right? Like, yeah. People just want to play a game. Mm. Stop, you know, when you when you stop the process from being easy, you're only hurting yourself. And when you're a company like EA, you need all the help you can get to begin with. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I was actually going to play the newest one. And then I read what an absolute disaster the release was from EA. And I was like, oh, I'm washing my hands of that. And I'm just going back to civilization. My brother said it was awesome. But once you figure out the mechanics... Then it ceases to be fun. He said that it's really cool how you can partner up with other friends of yours to have, like, you know, the four cities and stuff. Greg, you know, maybe you can talk about that aspect. Yes, that's awesome. Uh, SimCity is one of those games that's been, like, begging for, like, an online multiplayer access, um, aspect for it for years. And, and you know, while I agree this newest version has it, that has some issues, the online play is definitely one of the best things, like, about the game. I personally think SimCity 4, the the last, the, 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 the earlier game, is probably is probably the best next to the the, the Super NES port still my all-time favorite but if I had to rank them the next one down the line would be SimCity 4 they, they, they simply gave that game uh, um, a whole slew of improvements and expansions that took away some of the bloat and hassle that SimCity 2000-3000 suffer from uh, that game is available on GOG for a cheap price so I definitely recommend uh, picking picking that one up the newest online version has some issues but that game really shines is like the online play if you really want to get in there and play with your friends in an online city environment uh, this is definitely the way to go so SimCity game for the Super NES, uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but but if you haven't played on Super NES at this point, you're probably wondering, what's so what's so special and important about the version that Nintendo poured over like Super NES? Uh, there's a whole bunch of minor differences to the game, but there are some major ones. So let's talk about those major th- major differences. First major difference is just, like the music, whereas the original version of the game either had no music or simply had one song playing the whole way through. The, the Super NES version has an awesome soundtrack and not only a very good soundtrack it's also very very fitting with the whole gameplay because another change in this version is that town has stages we start off with a village and then once you reach x number of people it turns to a town and then once you reach x number of people again it like turns to um a city and so on and so on and the music changes as you go through the progression of the city the first piece you hear the village piece is very laid back calm lazy like you'd imagine kind of a small sleepy country town being and then as it goes on it gets more frantic and fast paced. So that's just that by the time that you reach the high size, it's just really fast paced, frantic, rush, rush, rush kind of tempo beat going on with it. So the music of the game is just simply totally awesome. It just really riches the whole game and really helps if you're drawing to it, like enhance your whole gameplay experience. I agree. I, I liked how that it somewhat set up the stages without really saying that these are stages and you had a different feeling of progression the better you did. 
right? I liked how smooth and seamless it seemed to be. Uh, also, just to build off that point, like another big change that Nintendo made was they wanted to make the game, as you guys talked about earlier, they wanted to make the game accessible to kids, basically, to, to help them to, to help ease them into the game and make it more friendly for them. So one of the ways they did that was to put an advisor into the game uh, that was not present in the original game. The original game for the PC had a very thick manual that you expected to read through or figure out the relationship between X and Y and what did this and what caused that. For the home version, to make it more accessible to everybody out there, Nintendo put in this advisor who they named Dr. Wright as a homage to Will Wright, the creator of the game, who would come up every now and then and give you can give you helpful hints and tips and that kind of stuff. Uh, he would tell you when there was a serious problem and some like how to fix it. He would tell you when your town had reached a, a certain size. He was always available to uh, to help you out the budget and to help you out the town growth. Uh, it really helped to make the game very accessible to basically a generation that that was not used to the more complicated, sophisticated computer games that are out there at the time. You mentioned uh, Dr. Wright. You said earlier on how it's an allusion to Will Wright. Did you ever notice that Panic Restaurant, the PAL version, has, which is obviously different than the NTSC box, looks exactly or pretty close to the guy from... Uh, SimCity here. I'm sharing the link over with you guys on Skype right now. Quick, take a look at that and tell me that does not look like the guy from SimCity. On, oh, he uh, does. Yeah, see? yeah, I can see that. You see the illusions? Yeah. And for some reason, and maybe because it was just Dr. Wright and I and I had Dr. Light in my head, I always thought it was <laughs> Dr. Light from Mega Man as mm. well. Well, they actually did base uh, Dr. Wright's looks exactly off of exactly off of Will Wright. That's a pretty right. good approximation okay. of what he looks like in well, what he did look like 25 years ago, at least, uh, gotcha. like, like when the game came out. So um, it was a very nice touch, and I'm sure Chad found this feature very, very handy to help him to help him get used to the game and whatnot. Because oh, I did at the time. Um, yeah. When, I, when we were kids, uh, I mean, it was it was really easy to click on it and be able to get the hints and that kind of thing. Because honestly, dude, as a kid, who reads the books? You know. <laughs> Well, confession. Really what, you didn't books. read in Arkansas? <laughs> no, dude, no. Of course we not. We didn't food. read there. We didn't learn them words. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like another change that Nintendo made for the game, and this is one I really love, they added in special buildings, buildings and features as like rewards for the game. For example, for very early on in the game, like you get a mayor's house that had certain perks to it, and as again, and as your city grew to certain sizes, you also would get like certain other certain other upgrades and features available to you. Just such as for example, when the city reached half half million people. So you'd be able to build a statue who looked like Mario. So uh, there was another like there's another Nintendo touch to the game there, right? That, and these special buildings and features are very nice upgrades and additions to reward you for good gameplay. And that concept proved to be so popular that they would incorporate it like the sequels as well. I will admittedly say I never got to the Mario statue level. I either destroyed the city or or gave up by that point. But the only Nintendo illusion I remember is the Bowser Godzilla. Yes. Disaster that that would come and just wreck it. Yep, that was another change they made. Uh, they renamed. Uh, I've, you know, you know, thinking about that, I'm surprised they didn't go full on Mario with it, or do like a Mario like Mushroom Kingdom SimCity. You know, since they they had so many other elements in there, like why wouldn't they make that jump? Well, actually, they did do one of the Mario, few Mario themed bonus in the game, uh, and this is the last major improvement that they made to the game. You never found this because you didn't play the scenarios. But I just uh, rub it in my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
but as a reward for finishing all the scenarios, uh, you were able to unlock two bonus scenarios that were exclusive to the Super NES port of the game. First scenario was Las Vegas in, in the year 2096. We had to rebuild the city after an alien attack. And then the, and then the last scenario after that was this giant map called Freeland, which had no water at all. And, it, uh, um, and the map starts off with this huge face of Mario, um, as are the trees. The trees make up the shape of Mario's face. So, right, it's on that uh, that map site I, I sent you the link to, vgmaps.com. It has all the scenario maps, and that Mario one is there. Yes. So, um, yeah, there were a number of other small, minor differences uh, that they made to the game. Uh, the controls, obviously, for example, are different. Uh, I thought they did a great job, like, the controls. They really mapped everything very well, like a Super NES controller. Sometimes it'd be very difficult porting computer games over to consoles which would require so many buttons and key presses and whatnot. And the, and the PC games certainly had those in spades. But they did an excellent job porting everything over like the Super NES to make the game control very easy, very friendly, uh, like very nice pickup. The graphics were improved like a little bit. There were some nice transcendentary uh, effects that were not present in the original PC version of the game. And the gameplay was a little bit faster uh, than it was for the PC because of the processor that the system had and everything else. So really, all these improvements like is why this game is so much superior than really any other any other home version that were home version that was available. I do remember enjoying a lot the later CD release of the game that came over the computers a couple years later because that also had FMV sequences of some of the disasters and and conferences of the conferences like of the police chief and fire chief and that and that kind of stuff. And that was a very nice version also. But far and away, because of all these improvements, and this version of the game is by far hands down the best one out there if you want to play the original SimCity. I think I remember vaguely playing like uh, scenarios and stuff like that in some of the electives I had in school, uh, just because the analytical part of it. Other than that, I never really got into anything besides the SNES version. But whenever we did that, but I mean, now that we're talking about it, I'm still not playing. <laughs> no, I mean I'll probably go back and, and check it out. I think I have it on uh have it on PlayStation. I'm not sure. I don't know if I if I'm all that interested, but yeah, I'll I'll still check it out. But I just kind of made the switch over to Civilizations. You see I've never played Civilizations. I've heard a lot of great things about it. I heard that I will love it since I am such a SimCity <laughs> fan. I do have a PlayStation 3 version. I've never played it on PC. I'm sure it's far superior on the PC since you can use a mouse and a keyboard. Well, the PC version is different than the console versions. Uh, this, uh, Sid Meier's vividly made the console version of Civilization to be a faster streamlined experience for console gamers as opposed to the more slog fest that the PC, the PC versions tend to be. Uh, I didn't really uh, enjoy the uh, console versions once I actually got a hold of the PC versions mm. later on. Again, courtesy of my uncle, who really encouraged um, that kind of thing. But, I mean, it was it was pretty fun. Mm. I didn't really enjoy it that much. But I did find myself getting a love of the uh, Sim through SimCity mm. and actually um, analyzing my problems, figuring things out trying to figure out where the best place was place uh, police stations per block because I knew there was there was some sort of formula to be able to um, have coverage of police stations in a certain part or a fire station in a certain part or stuff like that but it wasn't until much later that I actually figured out what that was 
you, you really have to look at your maps and the data in this game on a regular basis to figure out where problems are, what you what you do next, and that kind of stuff. It really encourages you to actually spend time looking at statistics and figures and facts and that kind of stuff to figure out the best way to play the game to maximize your fun. Yeah, you know, I mean, at the time, I wasn't really into um, that kind of thing. I just found myself really in love with it. And I found myself doing those things without even realizing I was doing it. Yeah, but definitely. Civilization and SimCity both had huge impacts on me personally as a gamer. It's because both these games came out at roughly, at roughly the same time. Both of them by excellent de designers who are still active in the industry today. Both these games are groundbreaking in every way, shape, or sense, or sense of the word. And I'm very glad that both those franchises are still going strong today. Because both those games are so awesome in so many ways. I mean, well, here's a question for you then, Greg. Because obviously, you know, SimCity is a massive, massive name in gaming history, and it's still going strong today. How does it continue to go strong in the future? How, how do you evolve this kind of franchise, one that is inherently open-ended, but yet fresh enough with the next iteration? Well, there's two versions of the game I've thought about that I would love to see. Um, one version is to have a literal 3D version of the city that you can play. They've tried this a little bit in the past with the with the Oath-Beta Streets Street to SimCity game, where you can actually like, yeah. zoom down uh, to the street level and whatnot. But with the Oculus, can the other 3D game devices coming out, coming out in the next several years, I think we're getting to the point in technology where you'd be able to strap on the device and literally kind of be like a god going over a city in like a 3D perspective and doing everything that way and actually really being immersed in like a 3D virtual reality uh, sim city and really being able to control things and interact with things that way. That would be totally awesome. I, uh, awesome. Right. I would love to play that. Um, and my, su my suggestion would be along a similar lines where, you know, that's definitely much more of just a cosmetic <laughs> fix to kind of make it a talking point. Like you alluded to earlier with, with the, the source code being out there for people to mod, I would love to see SimCity go literally kind of the same route that Monopoly goes, where there's like a million different versions of Monopoly. So give me <laughs> Star Wars SimCity uh, give me Ninja Turtles SimCity. Give me Marvel SimCity. Give me all these different branded SimCities. And even if it's just like an add-on, like a microtransaction mm. for, you know, $10 or something to have like a Marvel skin and have heroes and villains playing in this city that I'm creating, which I know is part of other versions that exist, but like actually branded, you know, heroes in, in cities. Or like, like I said, Star Wars. Imagine you get to like do a scenario in Cloud City. And you're essentially like Lando Calrissian. That that would be fun. I'd like to see branded content. And even though that sounds a little bit more scenario driven, I think there could be a lot of fun with even just building mechanics in that. That would be really awesome. Being able to try to build your fleet and that kind of thing. That would be just completely awesome. You know, just build your or, own desk. Or Nintendo Quest SimCity. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Couldn't resist. I can totally resist. see that. <laughs> Instead of putting police stations, you got to put the appropriate amount of game stores around. <laughs> yeah, and the other version I'd love to see is like, um, like is it like a direct competitive head-to-head -head multiplayer version of the game, um, which is which is different from the one we currently have now with the current version of the game. But one where you play directly against somebody else, you you have the same map, you have the same you have the same parameters. But as your city grows, uh, you also earn points as you go through the game. Uh, you earn points by being 
the fact we're doing like good things, like you're in points for like growing, for knocking down crime, for that kind of stuff. And whoever has the highest amount of points after like say 20 or 50 game years wins. But however, you can also, if you want to spend some of your points to cause disasters to, to, to impact your opponent's city, to mess him up and slow him, just like slow him down. So I was just going to say, I mean, it could be like Tetris, right? Like in Tetris, when you clear line, it adds junk to your opponent. So as your city prospers, it triggers stuff on your opponents. And as your opponents prosper, it triggers stuff on yours. That Ex could be cool. Exactly. But you also have a decision to make. Do you want to keep the points to try to win the game? Or do you want to, or do you want to take a risk spending, the, spending some points to cause disasters to hurt your opponent's city? Like hope or you just approving your city. Right, exactly. So So it's friend or foe. It's the classic friend or foe game show. Are exactly. You friend, are you going foe? Are you guys both going to do the same thing? Who knows? <laughs> we'll find out next time, Johnny! Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what you had in mind, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so SimCity is a game I still play on a regular basis. Uh, usually Super NES version. Um, every now and then, some other versions also. There's a DS version that came out not that long ago. It's pretty good. Uh, that I enjoy playing, especially when I'm on the go, like, or whatnot. Yeah, just the fact I'm still coming back to play some version of Civilization or SimCity after all these years is really testament just to how great those games are. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if you guys know this, the Civilization was ported to Super NES also, but that version of the game is terrible uh, in just so many ways. Well, compared to the PC version, it just sucks. I mean, there's no... There's no Greg, don't hold back and don't <laughs> sugarcoat it. Is it good? There's no play way to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just want to be clear. We will not be featuring it on the podcast. Let me just uh, I put it that way. <laughs> well, if this is the SNES podcast, you have to dedicate a show, don't you? Or are you maybe guys uh, the 10 worst games on the system. Yeah, maybe. Yep, possibly. Uh, because I would seriously rank it like in the top 10 list. Like, is that bad? Amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Sim Earth was available for Super NES also. Uh, but that version of the game is pretty good. Uh, I spent quite a lot of time playing that game. How does that differ? Tell, tell me about that. I have it in my collection, yet I have yet to play it. Uh, are you talking about compared to the PC version or towards the game itself? Uh, just compare it to regular SimCity for everybody listening to the Super Nintendo Entertainment System podcast. Uh, Sim Earth is kind of like SimCity at a huge, grandiose scale. Or instead of like trying to build and raise an entire uh, a city, you're trying to grow an entire planet. We start off with like you know millions of years in the past with like simple life forms, and, like you were a god of this planet, just simply like. Uh, controlling the land masses and the life forms and controlling and mining them and helping them to grow and prosper that kind of stuff. Think of it as kind of like a mix between SimCity and a populace. Yes, thank you. It's like you play that game. So kind of like a blending, a blending between those two. It's really open-ended, really free-form, even more so than SimCity is. Um, gotcha. It has a higher difficulty learning curve. So, uh, Chad, uh, I know this game was very popular, as we talked about earlier. Just like the fact it was a Nintendo Million seller, uh, like all that jazz. Do we have any good feedback like this game? Not a whole lot, to be completely honest with you, which is surprising. Yes, it is. I would have thought a whole lot of people would have played it. <laughs> yeah, we are relatively new, but I know one of the things I really want to achieve with this podcast is helping educate the masses out there as to which games is that they should be playing. So hopefully a lot of people will, will be encouraged to check out this version of the game because it's highly, highly worth it. The fact that all three of us are giving it to, are giving its highest marks uh, speaks volumes about what a classic of this game is. So, oh, absolutely. Um, but what feedback did we get on the game? Well, here we go. Ken Watson says, getting a megapolis population of 500,000 is so tough. 
Again, yes, easy to learn, hard to master. Matt Mullins, love this game. William Chang says, and Sim Ant was odd. <laughs> Sim Ant, I did not know that was a thing. Cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's another SNES Sim. Oh, cool. I'll check that out. William Culver says, never played it on the SNES, but did on the PC when it came out. My wife was and still is very addicted to this game. She prefers the original over all the other releases. Going to give this port a try on the SNES and see how it is. Please do, William. There's, they they added a lot of stuff, and it's it's really worth it. It even for the price. I mean, you can't beat it. Michael Kelso says pretty faithful port, really. I was surprised when I played it. Aaron Hickman says SNES was where it was at for Sim City when I was a kid. I love the music too. Shame the NES version never came out. So uh, yeah, he when he said that, he made me look that up. So yeah, it was a pretty cool deal. I think this game would have been very uh, handicapped uh, on the uh, on the NES. If you look at the versions of the games that are ported to some of the more inferior, well, I shouldn't say inferior. I should probably say less powerful computers, uh, like the Spectrum in in Europe, and to see some city running on it, it's really crippled. I really wish they had waited and released Pirates for um, the SNES just because of how cool a game it was. I, I do appreciate them doing that, but I really don't think this game would have had near the impact if they had released it on the uh, NES, especially being close to the end of their lifespan as it was. The Genesis version is actually Pirates Gold, which is the which is the sequel to Pirates. So it's actually so it's actually an improved version of the game. Yeah, yeah. I have yet to check that out, but I will check it out. Rob. You're not checking it out. You're <laughs> right. You're full of nonsense tonight. <laughs> you don't like video games. Who Dude, are I'm from the same kidding, state sir. as Bill Clinton. Come on, man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like you know, actually Nebraska. <laughs> Um, I actually, I actually, just, I actually just had a thought uh, listening to that uh, feedback, um, which reminds me of something that Chad said earlier. Uh, the fact how uh, Willie, uh, like the ClicoVisions podcast, uh, uh, had mentioned how his wife loves this game. Uh, Chad had mentioned that his two cousins had, had introduced him to this game, and from the, the sounds that sounds their names, uh, they were also girls. This game was just as popular with women as it was with men. It was one of the, it was really one of those first true. Uh, gender-breaking neutral games that was just as popular with, with, with female players as, as it was male players. John Lynchworth says, I have spent plenty of time on the SNES and Windows version of SimCity. Sure, I can find a th thing here or there that I prefer on the Windows version, particularly that the higher resolution gives you a larger and better viewing area. But in my opinion, the SNES version is easily the better one overall. So the good news for your folks out there who are, who, 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 who are now chomping the bit to get a copy of this game, like yourselves, like that due to the fact that this game was so popular and so many millions of copy of the, copy of the game were made, uh, this is a cheap game to pick up. It's like if you want to go the eBay route, and which I know is kind of ironic based upon earlier conversations, but eBay really is the, the, easy, the easy way to find this game. Compared to many of the Super NES games, you can get this game for a very, very cheap price. Uh, I found 461 copies of the game that sold recently on eBay in the last three months, and loose copies of the game started at a whopping 99 cents, plus a few dollars for shipping. So there is no excuse for you not going out there to buy this game, especially, especially that price. 
Loose copies went anywhere from 99 cents to $19. If you want to go uh, uh, CIB, a little bit more pricier, but still very cheap, $15 to $80, uh, like for this game CIB. So if you're patient, you can definitely pick up a, a complete in-box copy of this game for a very cheap price. And surprisingly, I even found a copy of this game sealed, the original copy of the game that sold for only $70. So if you're still, if you're like your steel collectors out there, this game in all formats, like in all, like in all ways, is very, very cheap. It's definitely the cheapest Super NES game talked about so far, uh, uh, in our podcast coverage. So you have no excuse not to go out there like pick up a copy. No, I, uh, I completely agree, though, Greg. This game is pretty much everywhere. Whether you're go- going on eBay to snag a copy because of the awesome things we've had to say, or whether you're heading down to the the corner game shop, you will find this pretty much everywhere and at an affordable price. And at 99 cents, you're going to get at least 99 hours out of this because mm. it, this game is that good. I, at one point, I tried to do all of the maps, and it, it didn't work out for me. <laughs> but, um, uh. man, I mean, I don't know. Now that's a whole other I, I documentary. Nine ninety nine, The City Quest. <laughs> it's actually 1000 because zero counts, man. Yes, and also because of that cheap price... You know, and because of the great tutorial that's tutorial that you know it's built in the game, uh, like in the form of the very helpful Doctor Wright, like you don't need the manual, uh, because the fact that the built-in you know system you have is you teach you everything that you need to know about learning the game and picking it up. So uh, okay, uh, so to wrap this up, uh, like do you guys have any final thoughts, comments, praise like, as far as the game goes? I'll let Chadwick go first, because he's going to blow us all away or, or take us on a tangent. I found this really cool Dreamcast lot. Nah, not really. This <laughs> <laughs> is a really great game. Even for the price, I don't understand how this thing hasn't taken off. Why it, for the most part, isn't even above $10. I'm okay with that because I really hate the fact that SNES is in a bubble anyway. But this uh, this game is really worth it. If any of you like strategy or having to figure out um different problems or whatever it may at the surface seem pretty simplistic but it can get pretty involved on you so yeah give it a shot it's definitely worth the cash yeah so uh yes this game is definitely well worth picking up and you all three of us you know hardly endorse it chad i just think the reason this game's for the, 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 the i think the reason this game can be picked up for so cheap is just because of the millions and millions of copies of it uh, that were made testament to the fact that this game was so popular so, you know, like, so for once, compared to the Pathic games we've talked about, popularity actually equals, like, cheap price. So, um, yeah, so uh, SimCity is definitely classic, like, in every way, shape, or form. Let's go ahead and wrap this up with, you know, final thoughts. Uh, speaking about this podcast, per se, I was very pleased to discover that when I listened to the new episode of the Televisionaries today on their work, the new one the new one that has dropped for the month of January that covers the game of Thunder Castle, that the three hosts on that on that great podcast talked about this podcast, the Super NES podcast, for a few minutes. It's like they gave it, like, very high marks and some positive praise. So I'm, I'm sorry those marks are going downhill after this episode. <laughs> That's probably my uh, fault. I, I apologize that, that I've lowered the bar yet again so uh 
so anyway, yeah, uh, like all three guys on that podcast are great. Uh, Paul, um, he's otherwise known as Nurmex, uh, was the one who composed a theme song like for this podcast, um, which you always hear at the intro and the closing. And I don't, don't get that guy enough credit. I, I probably should be mentioning him like every podcast. I can apologize profusely to Paul for not doing so. But he did an excellent job with like, the theme music like this podcast. He's been a very vocal supporter, very helpful to me getting this podcast up and up the ground and whatnot. And praise from him is very high praise indeed. And the other two hosts have also been very supportive as far as, as, far as feedback and comments with this podcast. So it was so it was totally awesome to hear the podcast being talked about in such high praise uh, like their own podcast. So if you're not already listening listening to Televisionaries, I, I, I hardly endorse that podcast. It's an excellent podcast. Uh, we're like to talk about the television, some of the great games that come out for that system. And I modeled some parts of this podcast off of their own podcast because of how great that it is. So it's definitely it's definitely one of the best podcasts out there. And Rob, you do a podcast yourself also, right? That's correct, I do. I do uh, the GamerCast, and we cover all gaming platforms from uh, everything as recently as we were talking about Atari stuff all the way up to current gen. And where can somebody find this podcast at? Well, they can uh, search for us on iTunes, so search GamerCast with J. Rob and Glenn, or they can go to nes.podomatic.com. Uh, Chad, like any uh, special mention to your final thoughts? Just letting you know, the Retro Junkies Super Show is on its way back, so just kind of give them a give them a listen. It's not coming back. I've heard this for months now. <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, what? Eat the faith. Eat the faith, Rob. <laughs> Keep the faith, okay? I just want to, I just want to say thanks to, to you guys to, uh, for indulging me as a guest guest host on, on the show. I completely understand if this never makes uh, the airwaves because uh, it's just, <laughs> it's just not quite up I'm to snuff. Yeah, you're going to edit me out. All, all of a sudden, it's just going to be you guys back and forth laughing randomly on, on separate tangents. I like it. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, it's been like a great pleasure having you on uh, like this podcast. Like, you know, Chad and I definitely, definitely love having guest hosts on here because we want people to come on here to talk about their, talk about their passion, um, uh, like in their love of the of the system and some of these some of the games for it. And we definitely want to get as many people on here as possible. Uh, so it's an open invite. Like anybody wants to talk, anybody wants to come on the podcast to talk about a favorite favorite game of theirs. I mean, we don't care if you're a podcaster or not. Uh, we definitely want to talk to you. So you can give us feedback, comments, concerns, that kind of stuff. Uh, on our Facebook groups. Uh, we also have a page on there also. You can email me directly at the Super NES Podcast at yahoo.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. It's a proud member of the Virtual Junkies Network. So it has definitely been great having you on the podcast with us, Rob. I definitely look forward to watching that movie like when it comes out. And I wish you continued success on your own podcast and any future, any future endeavors that you may undertake. Well, I'm undertaking this Nintendo Quest movie, so if anybody wants to know more about that, they can visit us on facebook.com slash the NES Club or reach out to us on Twitter at the NES Club or my personal one at Pyre Productions, P-Y-R-E Productions. Hmm. Yeah, one of you broke suckers go donate $2,000 so we can get a Nintendo game. <laughs> Chadwick, this is coming out after the campaign, but I love your enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. What? Uh... There could be another? Because <laughs> that's what I can't wait to do. Another. <laughs> Uh, so finally, as a parting thought, uh, Chad, why don't we go ahead and mention, if I can mention the game they're covering next week? 
we are taking our first user feedback uh, suggestion for a game to cover like for the system. This person was one of the very first to give me some feedback like through email and it's like just a favorite game of theirs. So I looked up the game. It seems it seems quite like it seems quite fun. I don't have any direct experience with it. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was to help to expand my horizons on uh, like other great games that are out there for the system. So next week we're going to be talking about the puzzle game Super Buster Brothers. Uh, uh, this game is also known commonly outside North America as Super Pang. From first impressions, it seems like a very fun puzzle game, kind of similar to Bust and Move, uh, like in some ways. So uh, I'm looking forward to checking this game out. Chad, uh, thank you again for podcasting with me, and we will be back again next week to talk about this next game. Um, and also, stay tuned. We have another we have another guest host lined up in the weeks to come who is a very well-known podcaster. I, I don't want to drop any more hints beyond that right now, but you will be quite happy uh, when you find out who it is, uh, I suspect. Man, I thank you so much for coming on, Rob. Y'all have a good night, man. Thanks for listening. Thanks a lot. Yep, uh, take care, all. Thanks again. Nintendo controls 80% of the video market. But no matter how you play the game, or which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man. Now you're playing with power. Super power.